Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is the Fresh Art International show, and I'm Kathy Bird. We're streaming live from the studio of Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. And on today's show, we talk about the range of opportunities for creativity in the public realm. You'll find public art programs in cities around the world, and in New York, they're formalized like the Public Art Fund. In Germany, there's a citywide public art project that takes place every 10 years that takes over the whole city. Miami Beach has art in public spaces, and so does Miami-Dade. But what can go missing from this conversation about public space is the community connection the grassroots efforts to invite creative public space ideas from residents is what we're here to talk about today. And that takes shape in Miami right now through the public space challenge of the Miami Foundation. I'm excited to welcome guests involved in encouraging and creating cultural interventions in public spaces in greater Miami in response to that challenge. So with me in the studio are Stuart Kennedy, with the Miami Foundation. He's here to talk about the challenge, a grant that encourages residents to propose ideas for parks, plazas, and gathering spaces. And now I've also invited to show what can happen with this challenge, three projects that represent the range of opportunities uh, being offered here. And one is DJ Carrington, whose project involves art, architecture, and music. Juan Mullerat, who's making parks out of parking spaces and otherwise activating Little Havana. Justin Trieger and Amy San Pedro, founders of a street performance event called Busker Fest, invented an, a roving open mic series they call Cultra. And when I was thinking about their big ideas for public space, I remembered a podcast episode I recorded under a bridge in Austin, Texas. Listen to this conversation to hear how a few undergrad architecture students at the University of Texas dreamed up a public space project that went viral. In the middle of the street, had to stop and check it out, cause I thought, what a treat. Next thing I know, I swung my kids away, swinging back and forth on this wind. Today, I'm under a bridge, the 7th Street Bridge in East Austin with Andrew, otherwise an anonymous former or recovering architecture student from UT in Austin. And Andrew, when he was in school, was given an assignment to do an urban intervention, that is to create some spatial intervention that would change people's relationship with public space. And Andrew, what gave you that idea to do a swing? Where'd that come from? The assignment was to just do anything that sort of activated otherwise dead space. And uh, I was wanting to do something that could be potentially universally appreciated and stir up memories. And a friend of mine and I, years before, had talked about hanging up swings around the parks. And it seemed like this assignment was the perfect chance to do it. And so we hung up swings just to sort of see how different people would react, you know, old people, young people, whoever. How many swings did you make the first time you did the project? The first time we hung swings, so in February 2007, we went out one night and we hung red swings. We hung five of them throughout the city, some in East Austin, some around campus, some in local neighborhoods, some in more commercial spaces, and just hung them up. It wasn't called the Red Swing Project at the time. It was just some red swings with a stencil of a girl and a number. And so initially they all had numbers on them. So we hung up swings one through five. Today, uh, I guess about five years later, there's been approximately 200 swings hung in, I think, like 13 different countries. And some were hung by me, but most of them are hung by people that are interested in the project. So we take them when we travel and we allow anybody to replicate the project. It became known as the Red Swing Project at what point? Uh, so we, just like any school assignment in you know, architecture school, we pinned up our project and we said, hey, you know, showed our professors and our peers 
we, this is what we did. We hung these swings. And at the time, it had no name. And one of the critics said, well, you should call this the Red Swing Project. And I was like, huh, okay. And he's like, well, and you should make a website, you know, redswingproject.org. And I was like, yeah, all right. And so that night I went home and bought the domain name redswingproject.org. And that's when it got that name. And it was well received by my peers and my professors and a lot of its formation came out of suggestions from them. What countries are the swings installed in these days? There's uh, swings hung all throughout the U.S. in the north, south, east, and west. And then in 2008, we went to India. And there's swing hung in Thailand, Brazil, Taiwan, South Korea, France, Spain, Portugal, Haiti, and Poland. And I think there might be some other ones, but that's what I know of. You were telling me you took swings to New Orleans. Why New Orleans? So in 2007, after a month of us starting the project, that spring break, some friends of mine and I went to New Orleans, and it was pretty recent after Katrina. There was still a lot of uh, wreckage there, and there was a design-build competition for students to come and make interventions in the city. So a lot of people came and made bleachers for parks that didn't have bleachers and our idea for this competition was to come and hang our swings and so the stipulation was you know you had 48 hours to design and build something and so we showed up in new orleans got some wood started painting swings drilling holes and just sort of drove around new orleans and we would talk to people that were living in fema trailers and ask them you know where they'd like to see a swing so there's swings that are hung in less glamorous parks that uh, are right next to FEMA trailers. There were swings hung from old billboards that were totally ripped apart and and swings hung from archways of decrepit buildings. And some of those swings were intended just to be used by kids that just, there wasn't swings in the parks anymore, or as sort of this symbolic image amongst the wreckage. Some were images and some were really functional swings. We got emails and uh, responses from people that had used the swings that went into a crazy level of detail discussing their, how this swing gave them hope amongst all this despair that they were having and we were really shocked to hear a simple swing to brighten somebody's day and change their outlook and so why is it important to you that this be an open source project that you, you give instructions on the site about the dimensions of the swing and mm-hmm. how to tie the rope. The open source aspect and the anonymity and all that is sort of as a response to capitalist hierarchical structures where, you know, you look at a beautiful building and you say, oh, Renzo Piano made that. And well, as a student, I found had a lot of trouble with that because, well, actually, no, his staff of 100 people made that. And so it, it was sort of in response to this idea of, we really like to give one person credit for things and it makes it easier for us to understand it, but it throws things in a loop when you don't say who does it and you it's just out there and there's mystery to it. And so by making it open source, it gave the project wings that it wouldn't have otherwise had. It, it stops really quickly when you say, this guy does it, but rather this anonymous entity does it. Then all of a sudden people email us and say, oh, you know, can you hang one in Missouri? They think that there's this large network of people, and so the anonymity allows the project to grow beyond just one person doing it. And so allowing other people to do it just has unlimited potential. And then really, if you can move away from focusing on the individual doing it, you're really focusing on the swing itself. Well, under this bridge, how many swings are there? There's nine swings here. And how long have they been here? So these swings were uh, hung about a year ago, and without permission, uh, we just, I had been biking by here for years and noticed this sort of no man's land, and we, in broad daylight, came out here with a man lift and just hung the swings and cops drove by and nobody, nobody stopped us. It, it, what we learned really was that you can, if you have a clipboard, people don't mess with you. So we just were out here hanging up the swings, and I wasn't sure if they'd last a day or a week, a year, and so a year later they've been here and the grass gets cut underneath them and about half the times I go by here there's somebody using the swings. How are you making this project eco-sensitive? 
and sustainable as a project, besides the fact you're empowering other people to make the swings? We're firstly using uh, underutilized space. We want to you know, turn this uh, ordinary place into an extraordinary place. Then the way we make the swings, we uh, usually find a scrap piece of two by eight or buy it from the local lumber supplier. And then all the rope that we use is either retired rock climbing rope donated by local rock climbers, or nowadays we get it supplied by rope manufacturers. And so they have rope that has defects that can't, that don't allow them to sell it. And so they donate the rope to us to hang swings with, and otherwise they would have to throw it away. It's a minimal amount of material for the amount of joy that you get, that many people can get from this small amount of materials. It's pretty extraordinary. It is, it's amazing. I love the concept. I'm wondering how you got involved for the Venice Biennale for Architecture. For the Biennale, the Institute for Urban Design, based out of New York, had a call for entries. And the theme of their exhibit at the U.S. Pavilion is uh, spontaneous interventions. And so they had a call for entries. And my clueless self did not even know about it. A guy that I share uh, office space with, he was looking online. And the night before the applications were due, he's telling me, hey, man, what they're asking for, that's the Red Swing Project. They are asking for the Red Swing Project, you know, everything about it. And so I looked it up online, and of course, it was it was amazing that we found it. And so we sent in all of our uh, request materials, and then we sort of forgot about it. You know, months went by, and then finally we got an email that we were invited amongst maybe about 100 other guerrilla projects that will be part of their uh, exhibit. And so... At the end of August, it'll exist as part of the exhibit as just photos of the project. And then uh, I have a hunch that a bunch of swings will appear. In Venice. In Venice. While you're so there. At the end of August, myself and uh, one of the other people that helped start the project, he's now living in India. We're going to meet in Venice and we will probably hang up 10 or 15 swings in Venice and just see what happens. It's funny, you know, these... Uh, an exhibit like this where they're talking about guerrilla initiatives and spontaneous interventions, a, a curated exhibit of that is different than the actual instance of a guerrilla initiative. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how they respond to our uh, hanging these swings. And to see if other interventionists will do the same Yeah, the, yeah with exactly. their projects. I mean, the group of individuals that are part of this exhibit are all self-motivated. So one of the criteria for the spontaneous interventions exhibit was that it's non-commissioned work, that it's self-funded, self-motivated. And so uh, there's a lot of go-getters. And I think there will be uh, people from all over the world that will likely be coming there and uh, raising some havoc. It should be fun. Sounds great. What do you envision for the future of the Red Swing? I mean, the idea from the get-go, part of the reason it's anonymous is that uh, having a project and an entity that can uh, exist without a single figure, the idea would be that people see swings, they go on our website, and they feel empowered that they can change the spaces around them. It sort of can grow organically, and the tools are on our website for people to add to this project, and it can exist much beyond us in Austin. Little red swing in the middle of the street Had to stop and check it out Cause I thought what a treat Next thing I know I swung my cares away Swinging back and forth on this windy day People drive by, they stop and stare But I'm too busy swinging, baby, I don't care They should pull over and give it a try Seems the more I swing, the less I cry Little red swing hanging from two strings, y'all. Ooh, 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 swinging back and forth. I don't care about a thing, y'all. Good morning. That was the sound of the Fresh Art International podcast episode I recorded in Austin, Texas, about the Red Swing Project. And what a great inspiration to think about students doing something like this that took over the city of Austin and went global. 
Today we're talking about creativity in the public realm, and our first guest is Stuart Kennedy. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Kathy. Welcome. Let me introduce you properly. Stuart is the Director of Program Strategy and Innovation at the Miami Foundation, and he has two main projects. He works to track data, trends, and indicators and stories about greater Miami's biggest challenges and opportunities, and maybe that's where Public Space Challenge came from. But the second one is Public Space Challenge itself, and it's an annual opportunity inviting residents to propose ideas to improve, create, and activate public spaces. This year is the fifth year, Stuart. That's right. It's very exciting. It's a big anniversary for us. It's also the 50th year anniversary of the Miami Foundation, which is a big deal. Lots of celebration going on. Lots. You guys do a lot of work in our community, and it's wonderful. But this one in particular, I'm a big public space fan and very involved in the public uh, art and public places on City of Miami Beach. And as a curator, I've curated a number of projects. But I love the grassroots projects, the ones that just spring up and have so much meaning for everyday people. They don't have to try to understand it, just know what it is, and it's there for them. How are people responding to this opportunity? Sure. We've had a tremendous response. It's an ideas contest to improve activate or create new public spaces. So that's parks, but also sidewalks and plazas and all, all anything that's out in the public realm. And it's open to anyone in Miami-Dade County. So um, everyone anywhere in Miami-Dade County can apply um, and win money to actually build out their idea, to do their idea. So, you know, in answer to your question, we've had a great response from every corner of the county. Um, we've had municipalities participating themselves, so government can actually apply and win. Uh, we've had individuals. We've had folks like 14-year-old Noah LaFleur down in uh, Cutler Bay who's uh, submitted an idea for putting recycling containers in the park where he plays soccer. So the kids had somewhere to throw away their Coke cans after the soccer game um, and everything in between. I wonder what this funding range is for these projects from big to small we put up $305,000 for the total pot for the Public Space Challenge, and we're really um, proud to have Target as a sponsor this year so to support specifically ideas that are focused around healthy eating and active play. Uh, so a, a huge thanks to Target for that. Um, so that $305,000, which, of course, that's 305, our, our area code that we're so proud of, is split between the winning projects. So we generally have between 15 and 20 winners. Um, and the range so far has been between around $5,000 and $25,000. Um, and we keep that a little bit loose, a little bit open. And I've seen projects as small as a water bottle refill station that got funded up to that uh, Fiesta de Agua, those water events mm -hmm. in a park, mm -hmm. and then the Biscayne Green, which was, to me, a hugely ambitious project along uh, Biscayne Boulevard that transformed two blocks into active space for a whole month. Right. Three, I think it was three blocks three blocks. the parking in the median of Biscayne Boulevard right downtown were turned, transformed into a green space and concert space and kind of an open, beautiful public space and activated, really brought people in. So you're right, the, the scale of the projects that win are all across the board. And so that's really kind of part of the fun of the public space challenges. Anybody can apply, anybody can win, and you could have a small project, you could have a day job that you're doing something else, and you just have this fun idea, and you can submit it and win money and, and build it out. And we provide a little bit of technical assistance for folks that don't know how to, what all the steps are that they should take. But then we also have professionals, um, like we'll hear from Juan Mujerat in a second, who's a you know, professional urban planner and architect um, that apply and win and, and build out projects too. That Biscayne Green project is an inter interesting one because it's a massive project, right? W the idea is that that popped up for about a month but we wanted it to be a demonstration of what was possible so that we could get, get it built out permanently. And so you take a big, you know, it'd be a lot, many millions of dollars to build, to build that out permanently and a lot of permissions and a lot of, you know, politics to get that done. 
But what they did is they showed what was possible. And they got a Knight Foundation grant for a big piece of that. And they came to us. So it was a piece of the bigger project was this pop-up project. And then they came to us in the Public Space Challenge for a piece of that. They said, we would love to wrap the, um, the metro rail pillars that are going through there in art. And we'd love to activate it with some other artistic things. And so that was their application to the Public Space Challenge. So they picked out a nugget that, they, that was kind of appropriate for the size and the scale that we're able to support so that we could add momentum to this much bigger vision. And so what's the range of time that these projects are on view or activated? Again, it uh, runs the gamut. So we've had um, pop-up events that have happened once. Um, you know, for small amounts of money, but have done a great job in, in uh, activating the community, like Groove Miami, where we had uh, dance lessons in Bayfront Park for uh, all different kinds of dance. And then we've had permanent installations like benches on Brickle Bay Drive that was a beautiful place uh, to walk along, but there's nowhere to sit and enjoy the view. So now there's benches there permanently. Um, to, you know, larger scale kind of permanent projects. Uh, we've had series. And, and the hope is that we get projects that are seeds. We want to see demonstration projects. We want to see uh, fun ideas that can then grow into more permanent or long-lasting things. So we're able to seed it with a little bit of funding. But we, we are hoping that the project leaders, the municipalities, cities, uh, nonprofits, whoever else, uh, take ownership of them and steward them on into the future. And there's the application process isn't super complicated. No, it's by design meant to be really easy. So we have a website that you can go to. That website is ideas.ourmiami.org. And it's a map. You get there, it looks like a Google map or something like that. You can see dots on there where people have already submitted ideas. So it's an open process. And all you do is you zoom in, you drop a pin in the place that you want to improve or create and click uh, the add an idea button and a box pops up and you just have to answer two questions and those questions are basically what is your idea and why and it's about 150 words it's super easy uh, you can throw a picture up there you can give it a title a couple other things um, but that's it and it's meant to be really really easy and when you're invited if you win like these people did you get assistance in fleshing out your idea so if you're invited to be a finalist that's the kind of the next phase here and um, if you're invited to be a finalist then you have to fill out a full proposal where you have to think through some more of the specifics at that point you have to kind of submit a budget and you have to think about your timeline you have to think about what kind of permits or permissions you need to to do it in this space so we provide some technical assistance there's a great group called urban impact lab marta and Arvance there um, help provide trainings right now during the submission phase. We actually have one more training uh, coming this Saturday that you could go in person and get kind of support and we'll answer your questions and things like that. But during the finalist stage, um, Urban Impact Lab helped provide technical assistance. So they'll work, they'll work through that full proposal with you. They'll help you think through the permits. The, the applicants have to do some work here though. It's, you know, it's, it's the applicant-led project, absolutely. But and it's a challenge grant, but not a challenge grant where matching funds are required. There's not a requirement for matching funds. Okay, so there's a challenge to come up with a great idea, but you can get it funded through Miami Foundation. That's right. And the deadline is coming right up. April 6th. So a couple of weeks people have listeners listen in and get more ideas today from our conversation about the public space challenge in Miami. And you've awarded over 70 winning projects. That's right. Right? And one of them we're about to talk about now is one that took place in the fall of 2015, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it took place in downtown Miami on the surface of the Intercontinental Hotel. And that normally, for those of us who live here, know there used to be at least a dancing woman, a disco thing going on, playing across the surface of that hotel. And that's become a challenge for some people. And one person it became a challenge for is Deja Carrington and her partner, Kelly Nunes. And Deja is Director of Public Relations and Marketing at Young Arts Foundation. 
and she's one of those people who has a day job and has all this creative energy she wants to share with the community. She's committed to supporting these emerging talents through Young Arts, but she's also seeing gaps in how the public accesses the cultural, rich uh, environment of our own city. So to introduce her project, we're going to play an audio track of a short video created by her partner, Kelly Nunes. And Kelly's in Montreal. I think he's listening in today. He works as a composer, a sound designer, and a mixing engineer for film and television. Miami is a city that's changing, more open to innovation, artists, and design solutions that address urban challenges. We saw an opportunity to transform a central city building into a digital canvas for public art. The iconic Intercontinental Miami Hotel, a beacon on Biscayne Bay, became our canvas, with approximately 364 square feet, two facades, and 19 stories of LED lighting. Newt uses mobile phones as a listening tool so that audiences not only see the building, but can hear it as well. We wrote an original composition in synchronicity with the animation, and with the Intercontinental centrally located on the bay, anyone with a view of the skyline could access the music with their phone. Our goal was to level the playing field by using everyday technology and connecting people from all different walks of life. We were inspired by Isaac Newton's idea that every color correlates to a musical note. Taking viewers to a higher sensory experience, Newt visualized the soundtrack for the installation. For Newt, the skyline presents itself as a vertical stage with the power to reflect a socio-cultural shift. We knocked on many organizations' doors to learn about their needs and how our project could shine a light on their year-round programming and events. Museums, foundations, and developers opened their spaces to us for off-site panel discussions and pop-up events. And organizations collaborated with us to explore a range of topics from women in technology, to poetry, yoga, public spaces, and philanthropy. Throughout this process, we mobilized locals and tourists. We created a shared experience that gave people a sense of place and connectivity. Good morning. This is Kathy Bird on Fresh Art International, and Deja Carrington is calling in. Good morning. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Welcome. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it was great to hear Kelly's voice and the sounds that were related to that Newt project. And I am so happy that you are able to explain to us what drew you to that particular idea as a public space challenge response? Well, it's funny how we think about public space. I think often there's this idea that it has to be a park or a bench or um, a public facility. But in this instance, um, and at the time, I was working a lot with primary projects and their gallery was located right near the Freedom Tower, which if you're from Miami, you know has a direct line of sight to the Intercontinental Building. So every time I would drive home from the gallery and across the bridge to where I live in Miami Beach, I just felt like I would see the building and it really became part of my public view. It basically became part of the skyline for me. And that's when I guess the ideas started brewing because I kept on thinking, you know, if this is going to be a beacon for Miami, if this is really our light tower, this thing that grounds us and that is that grounds the identity of downtown Miami, which, as we know, is just so active with the Frost Museum opening in a month and with Pam and again with, you know, the Freedom Tower 
hour and MDC's programming, I felt like there might be some opportunity around that building to make it more in line with this arts and cultural statement that we're making here in the city. So you gave it a name, Newt, Miami. Let's talk about where that came from. So, you know, it's when we think about um, how color and light and sound can be used, and in this instance, the building already had a few key architectural elements that were just incredible, mainly the digital LEDs across the 19 stories of the building. So we knew we wanted to use light as one of our mediums, but we felt like we needed to give it more access um, or we needed to give more people access to understanding or to connecting with the building. So it just couldn't be a cool light pattern that would happen on the building. And with my partner, who's a composer, we felt like a musical component um, could be really interesting, something that people can access on their phones so that as they're seeing a light pattern, um, it felt very much like a story or a visual narrative, much in the way that Norman McLaren or some of the great animators have done. But... Um, but play to a tune of an original composition. And that's where the idea of synesthesia really came in for us. And Isaac Newton had this idea that every color on the rainbow spectrum corresponded to a note on the musical scale. So we really just did some matching. And the idea is that somebody could be looking um, at the building from uh, downtown Miami, from Biscayne Bay, um, from Key Biscayne, or from Miami Beach, and really just see the pattern and listen to the pattern on their phone so that there was a total visual connection and audio connection to what it is that they're hearing and, and seeing. I really like this combination of digital technology and the night skyline. And you were, when we met the other night talking on the phone, you were talking about how the skyline, how the skyline is the platform for Miami's identity. And I, I love that and how you animated it. Thank you, Kathy. I, you know, and you, and you see the skyline in a lot of different films. I mean, I think Rashida Johnson recently put out a film about Miami and zooming in on the skyline or that opening shot that you often see, right? I think CSI Miami has that like iconic opening shot and you see the buildings and you see the palm trees and you see this beautiful and diverse landscape. So to me, the building really took on a personality or a personality trait. And I felt like we we're more than just what was being programmed that it was a um, it was an opportunity really for ourselves to think about um, how we could rethink the buildings and structures and what feels like sometimes static and private spaces as public space because really as a culture we we are our buildings and so I think that in doing this project with the Intercontinental who were very helpful and worked with us because this had never been done um, on this building before. Really, we were stretching their technology. We were stretching their team. Um, we did many, many tests. I found myself up on the bridge near the Port of Miami many nights just filming what worked, what didn't work, um, what looked good from up close, but also could look good from afar. And so we all really worked together to make sure that conceptually it was sound, but also that the technology was brought up to speed and was brought up to snuff to make that possible. And in so doing, I think it's really opened the intercontinental's mind too, to um, inviting other groups in to do similar projects or to rethink how that screen is used. So I know that Pam and Borscht have used it in the past, and I believe that they're going to be continuing um, with that active programming. And I think French projects also did a a project with that last year, with that That's building. Awesome. That's pretty exciting. That's and awesome. in addition to the the actual building intervention, you did programming. Right. I mean, I think that this building, as a work in itself, um, you know, we wanted it to have artistic rigor, but something like that can't just exist in a vacuum in the sense that the idea was we would use this building as a catalyst to spotlight all the other organizations and what everybody else is doing year-round. And with that, um, we decided that and with that, we decided to do talks around um, public space and women in technology and how different communities are really interacting with the building and where they can find their own spaces to do different things. And I think that's one of the goals, right, Stuart, for this 
public space challenges to spark collaborations and other conversations. Absolutely, spark collaborations in ways that we never would have thought of, which is kind of the whole idea behind this is we recognize the importance of public space at the Miami Foundation, but realize that everybody else knows their public space best and, and will have the most exciting and interesting ideas. So, you know, Deja's idea to transform the skyline as a public space never would have occurred to us. Um, and we, we just loved it when it came in. And I guess we'd wonder, Deja, what other, how did Newt inspire you to go on with creating other engagement with Miami? Well, I think that, you know, um, in this instance, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an artist and I didn't necessarily view myself as a producer. And it took me uh, some time to come to the terms with the fact that I'm just this creative person who feels really committed and engaged with my community. So in so much that the public space really gave me, this public space challenge really gave me a vote of confidence in letting me know that my ideas are possible, that there is a path for funding and a path for support and for consulting for these types of projects. And that if I can believe it and if I can dream it, it can also be possible. And I know these are like all things that sound very, very cliche, but um, just to give you an idea, right? I started by just looking at this building and thinking about it. And then, you know, I wrote a couple of lines to apply for an Austin Foundation grant, which is just a thousand dollars. But, you know, it's one of those like small gateway grants that let you know that your idea is legit and that motivates you to go further. And then the Public Space Challenge came on board to support. And then we got a Kickstarter campaign that raised more than $12,000 to support this project. So I felt like the sheer force of the community was just pushing me along, letting me know that that this is something that everybody could really benefit from. This is a great idea, and there's many, many opportunities for collaboration and for working together and for lifting everybody up in the community to want to do this. And so I, I feel like that same momentum has taken me into other spaces, such as commissioning artists to do their own work and to talk about different issues that are very local and indigenous to Miami. So, you know, the public space challenge, I would say, was the biggest kick in the butt I ever received. <laughs> Well, that's a great encouragement for those listening to try it. Just look for an idea that you pass by every day. There's got to be some space that you can imagine could be different. So Absolutely. thank you for calling in, Deja. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Kathy. All right. I think now we're moving to Little Havana. And there is a street called Calle Ocho, in English that translates to 8th Street, and the district is a destination for lovers of Cuban music and much more. Good morning. This is Kathy Bird, and this is the Fresh Art International Show. You were just listening to a soundbite from Carnaval, an annual music event, one of the annual events that takes place in Little Havana. It's a very active cultural community. Our next guest is Juan Muyarat. Welcome, Juan. Thank you, Kathy. I'm really happy to introduce Juan as a designer with over 20 years of experience. He's the principal of Flores Ubia. Flores Ubia. Plus Urbia. Plus Urbia. It's, it's like suburbia, but not. Oh, plus Urbia. Okay, I should have had lessons <laughs> before I came on the air, but plus Urbia. He is designing, planning, zoning projects, architecture. He's worked in North America and South America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. And what I read through his work and all that I've been tracing about him online is that he believes that society can be understood by the nature of its public spaces, and that's how he got involved with the Public Space Challenge, right, Juan? That's right. And 
your project was called, is called Teresita. It's one of the 2016 projects. <clears throat> yes, and we were very fortunate to uh, to get granted um, an opportunity to provide open space through through the Miami Foundation, um, which is by far one of the most important um, uh, grants that Miami has today. Um, and, and, and the work that the Miami Foundation is doing is, is it's, we all know, outstanding, but especially very important. And so what inspired this Teresita project? So, so and the reason why it's, it's so important, the work that the Miami Foundation does, is because um, Miamians are starved of open space. We are one of the, the worst ser- served uh, cities in the country. And so any opportunity to, to create open space is, uh, is, 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 is very needed. And one of the, one of the areas that is, uh, is highly starved is, uh, is Little Havana. Uh, we barely have any open space there or, or opportunities for uh, chance encounters other than the typical five-foot uh, sidewalks. So th- it's a densely populated area with very few gathering spots that aren't commercial spaces highly populated highly populated and and um and like i said the very few parks that we have there which are great and the city does a great job in keeping them um keeping them clean and and keeping them running um are 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 that are 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 really too few and and really not enough for the kind of population the 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 need for the population and la La teresita is a, a parklet in other words, a park created from a parking space or a few parking spaces. That's right. La Terracita was um, um, was conceived as a pilot, um, a pilot design. Our intent is to design something simple enough for anybody to replicate. Um, what you know, there's 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 what I think is is even more important uh, uh, in the work that we proposed to the Miami Foundation that we were going to do. Which is that the, La Terracita is, we're going to build a Terracita, we're going to build a parklet. Um, but together with that parklet, uh, there will be a document um, that will set forth guidelines, very simple guidelines for people to replicate. Um, together with, uh, you know, the, the necessary permit forms, uh, the people that you need to contact, etc. So, I, you know, like, like Stuart said, uh, they want um, these projects to grow. We don't see La Terracita as, a, as an end. Uh, we see it as a part, a pilot, an example uh, to be replicated in the future. We are working with the Miami Foundation and with Marta Nirvans from Urban Impact Lab uh, to find a spot. The most important thing about, um, about uh, these kind of spaces, typically if you want them to be uh, permanent, is maintenance. So in the case of a parklet, you need to partner with um, either the owner of the property that the, the parklet will be in front or the tenant. Um, we are working with a few of them. Uh, we're talking to a few of them. Um, and, and we hope that we're going to find somebody that needs that space in front of their business um, and that is willing to maintain it. And so you're hoping these are longer term parklets? Well, that's something that we're still discussing with the Miami Foundation. Um, we we hope that uh, that we can make them permanent. Right now, the city of Miami is um, is um, is getting legislation uh, drafted uh, for for these parklets to be permanent, uh, and so we are we are debating whether or not we do a temporary uh, parklet or that uh, you know, like like Stuart was mentioning. Uh, we wait a little bit longer, we have a little bit more um, flexibility with our grant, uh, and then uh, produce something that is more permanent. What do you hope happens in these spaces? Who do you hope comes there? What do you want to see? Everything and anything, as long as it's legal. (laughs) I was reading Domino's, Juan. (laughs) <laughs> we, well, right. I mean, we, so we, we've been working in Little Havana for a few years now, and um, I, uh, my wife and I, um, we actually live a couple of blocks away from, from Calle Ocho. And, um, and we've been working with the neighbors of Little Havana, 
Um, and our, uh, our firm at, at its core believes that architecture and urban design needs to be contextual. So anything that we do cannot be, um, cannot be an implant. It needs to be uh, a part of the culture. It needs to grow the culture. It needs to serve the community as the community stands. So instead of imposing, we, 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 you know, we, we, we'd rather be uh, less, con less conspicuous and, and, and just fit in. And that's what I hope La Terracita will be. It will be just an extent. If it could just be an extension of the sidewalk, I'd be happy. I mean, it doesn't have to be much more than that. It needs to just give uh, a little bit, a, a little bit of more open space for people to um, have a chance encounter and not block the sidewalk, which you know it's blocked by lamp, by by street lights, by uh, uh, electric poles. Sidewalks have been you know encroached from all sides and all ends. So. Right, so it would be uh, providing some seating, hopefully, and some designation so people would feel safe there mm, yes. as a gathering place. This yes. is one of the gathering place ideas. Maybe some, maybe some canopy uh, for shade, maybe some shading structures, um, obviously some protection and, and for safety for, for, for the cars driving by. Um, we want it to be very, very, um, uh, very visible. Um, we are looking at uh, at streets that are that are uh, that have a reasonable amount of traffic. So you know, not not only car traffic but also pedestrian traffic, so that it, there it's used as much as possible. Cool. And this is just part of a big scheme you have. You you actually had an <laughs> event last week, and I wasn't able to join, which was uh, Little Havana Mi Importa, where you invited the community to come and. Uh, do a design charrette to design the kind of community they want to live in. Yeah, well, yeah, right. And, and yeah, I, I hope that people understand this is not a scheming, you know, we're not <laughs> scheming something terrible here. Um, we, we, have, we have high hopes for Little Havana. Little Havana is the heart of Miami. It, it's, it's the culture. It's its beating heart. Um, it's, um, as we've, we've mentioned in the past, the, the Ellis Island uh, of Miami. Uh -huh. This is where uh, most uh, immigrants, um, including myself, uh, including uh, most people that I that I meet in Miami um, uh, as immigrants, have not only either either lived there or have family that have lived there. Um, it's um, location so close to uh, the business district uh, is enviable. Um, its history from the 1920s and, and 30s and 40s is, is, um, is also enviable. Uh, it's very unique. Uh, and we've partnered with the, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, uh, Dade Heritage Trust, the Health Foundation, and United Health Partners to uh, work on, um, on, a, on, a, on a master plan that will guide future development uh, and future city intervention within the neighborhood. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that. Thank you for joining us today, Thank Juan. Thank you. I think now we have to move to the parks and a project that has to do with music. Here's one sound that came from the idea that was sparked by founders of a street performance project that many of you already know as Buskerfest. <coughs> I want to bite you through your scars That's all you are That's all you are And my blood is running thin And I'm determined to win this little game Fight. So you wanna fight? Oh. 
que cambiar el sentimiento de perder lucha popular de que nada la tierra tembla sin nada que perder nada por ganar entonces seguiremos en pie de lucha o hasta el final seguiremos hasta acá hasta que no puedes esto es lo que quieres loco y la gente no vuelve a tener esto es lo que hacemos corazones verdes esto es lo que quieres loco Good morning. This is the Fresh Art International Show, and that was the sound of Tamboka, one of the performance groups presenting at a new open mic event that took place in Bayfront Park this February. I'm here in the studio with two creatives behind the project, Justin Trigger and Amy San Pedro. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to have you w here with me. And I'm going to introduce these two. I met them a few years ago at a feast uh, event where they were competing for funding for their project called Busker Fest. Amy is a dancer and a founding member of Whole Project, a contemporary dance company. She works, she has day jobs, more than one, artist, administrator, archivist, and community connector. And Justin is a composer and multi-instrumentalist, experienced as a recording engineer. Good to know. Mm -hmm. He's also the director of new media and distance education at the New World Symphony on Miami Beach. You guys have full lives. <laughs> <laughs> and you invented Busker Fest a few years ago. And let's just talk for about two seconds. We could talk for an hour about what you've done with Busker Fest. Tell me, what's happened since it began? I know it's an annual fest. Yep. So every December we invite, um, at this point, upwards of 40 different performance groups to set up near the stops of the Metro Mover in downtown um, on a particular Friday in December. And, uh, yeah, it's it's grown in... Um, attendance and participation from the artist community over the past four years, and we're now well into our fifth year of programming. <laughs> what started out as a project to come out of a, a small group ideation session led by uh, this company called Where By Us is now its own full-fledged nonprofit with um, regular monthly and annual programming. That's pretty cool. And it I understand in 2016, in December, you had 50 performance groups you were organizing and attendance of a 1,000 people. <laughs> it's growing. It, it is. Um, Miami is starved for many things, but arguably one of the things it most needs are performance spaces and opportunities for performers. So that clearly speaks to that, that need. I guess some of our listeners might not know what a busker is, so we say a busker is a street performer, and what they have is transformed this idea of street performer, street performance, and with the public space challenge, they thought of another way to bring different performance groups together in public space. So tell us about Cultura. Um, well, so it's an open mic series that happens in a different outdoor location each month. Um, it's another, as he was saying, another platform for performers um, to be able to showcase their talents. Um, it's a little bit of a different format for us, um, which is why we chose to partner each time with a well-established open mic. Um, Miami has a an abundance of open mics, but they're sometimes hidden and people, they have their own audience. Um, we, over the past five years, um, as part of scouting for Buskerfest, 
um, performers have visited and made connections with these open mics. So um, it was a, a nice transition to be able to partner with these groups that we've been witnessing their work for the past five years. And so the response you've had so far has been uh, increasingly overwhelming. <laughs> we we're continually I don't know why we're continually surprised that there is an overabundance of really talented performers here. Um, and we have too many performers um, for the time slots that we have um, for these open mics. Um, so that's been really exciting. And surprisingly, we deal with a lot of performers for the festival, and we are seeing performers we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And the range of performers are? Everything from dance to spoken word to any genre of music you can Im imagine. We actually had a fire thrower who didn't show up, but that... That may be that good. That was a possibility. <laughs> he had his own insurance policy, thankfully. Oh, very good. So how do people find out about you to be participating in culture? How do, how do you get it to be on that stage? So um, it's an open call. So it's basically first come, first serve. We have an application available at buskerfestmiami.com that people can complete for the remaining two editions uh, of the open mic um, on April 20th and May 18th. Um, and then we, in collaboration with our co-presenting group each month, uh, curate the list of performers and put them in a particular order. Um, but spots are filling up, so if people are interested, we, we recommend they sign up soon. Okay. Time is ticking away, people. This sounds like a great opportunity and one that you consider a prototype for things to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the original intention behind this series was to um, illustrate a novel use of the parks and public spaces in downtown. Um, we're used to seeing quite large productions in Bayfront Park, um, but there's no reason these types of cultural gatherings can't happen in whatever open space uh, you have available. So this previous month was actually held on board the Miami Science Barge, so it was a floating open mic, perhaps the first, we'd like to think. Um, the month before that was Museum Park, which is um, a beautiful open space, which is not so active, at least currently. Um, before that, we were at Tina Hills Pavilion in Bayfront, um, and this upcoming month, we're actually staging it in a newly opened park uh, that was formerly a ground lot called Omni Park. Oh, the brand new and just opened. Mm -hmm, exactly, yeah. So the um, the masterminds behind that project have invited us to come and stage it there on April 20th. So we're really excited about that. Very cool. Yeah, and just to add another part of this. So specifically with Cultra, it is um, a collaboration with a, another group called Emerge Miami, um, who um, we've been um, active participants in, Justin more so than I in the past uh year or so. Um, but they um, focus on social activism and civic activism. And one thing that they have been really um, focused on in the past year or two is um, parks. Um, specifically, they were working on the Dan Paul Park or the, the parking lot behind the... the right. Um, but behind the American Airlines Arena. Um, and so culture came out of um, our love of you know, performance and, and public spaces and this idea that Miami actually does have a ton of beautiful public space and we want to use that public space for the public. Um, so that was part of the, the collaboration with them. So I'd say that was a big hit with the public space challenge people <laughs> to, uh, to see the opportunity to use parks in new ways. It's just got to be a thrill for them yeah, well. and for those participating. Yeah, no, so the, uh, like Amy was saying, the both the performers and the audience members are new for us as part of the series, and I think it's probably for a lot of them the first time they're actually spending quality time in Museum Bayfront next month, Omni Park. And maybe you're getting new fans for Buskerfest at the same time, Definitely. I imagine. Have to be. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's hear one more performance from Cultra. This is an artist named V who was performing on the Science Barge next to the Museum Park. V, v with two E's at the end. <laughs> I'm a singer-songwriter. This is my first time at an open mic, so please be patient with me. Um, the first song I'm going to do is an original, so 
let's get this started. a new open mic event presented on the Science Barge at Museum Park in Miami last week. This is the Fresh Art International Show, and I'm Kathy Bird. We're streaming live from the studio of Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. And on today's show, we've been talking about the range of opportunities for creativity in the public realm. You've heard the voices of Andrew Danziger of the Red Swing Project uh, that 
took place in Austin, Texas. Stuart Kennedy of the Miami Foundation, who is the instigator of the Public Space Challenge in Miami. Deja Carrington called in about a project she did that played across the Intercontinental Hotel. Juan Bullerat made a park, is making a park out of a parking space and doing so much more in Little Havana. Justin Trieger and Amy San Pedro of Buskerfest have just invented a roving open mic event known as Cultra that's got two more iterations this spring. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation. And I'm wondering, listeners, what's your big idea for activating public space in your neighborhood? Stuart, where should they go to apply? Ideas.ourmiami.org. That's ideas.ourmiami.org. And the deadline is coming up on April 6th. Very easy to apply. All you have to do is answer two short questions. Anybody can do it. So if you have an idea, I highly recommend you go to ideas.ourmiami.org. Thanks, Stuart. If you like what you're hearing today, please let us know at Fresh Art INTL and at Jolt Radio. You can search Fresh Art International on SoundCloud for the full archive of this radio show and my contemporary art podcast. So if you'd like to help us grow and prosper, follow us and click the support button on freshartinternational.com. Thank you for listening. Meet us here every Wednesday morning for Contemporary Art Talk. <laughs>